is episode 12 of the Saints Edified Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. Today we will continue our discussion with Randy. This is part two. If you have not listened to part one, I highly recommend that you go back and listen to that one. Um, he gives a lot of context and you might find that helpful. And just to quickly remind you, uh, Pastor Randy, he's he's my pastor. He pastors Providence Reformed Church. It's a church I've been going to for the last two years or so, but we will not talk so much about that. This discussion, mainly we cover the debate he had with atheist and lawyer Eddie Tabish back in 2010. So I don't want to waste too much of your time. So let's go ahead and play part two of this discussion. All right, friends, enjoy. morning i just thought it was pretty cool so um but yeah and, and you answered the question too i i, I was going to ask you next uh how did you prepare for this debate my debate preparation uh, involved two things um obviously preparing the kind of argument that i wanted to present but also researching my opponent okay and there's a lot of information um that uh, eddie has out there a lot of youtubes and so forth right right um but there was one that uh uh there was one YouTube training session that he was doing up in the um, uh, North Midwest, the Midwest up toward, it might've been in Wisconsin, someplace up there. Mm-hmm. He was doing a training seminar for atheists, young wow. atheists. And he was training them how to debate Christians. Wow. And I thought it was interesting. He said, it's so important for us to keep the pressure on and keep debating because he said there are more Christians going into PhD programs in philosophy and the philosophy of religion and the, the universities are turning out more very sharp Christians who can out-debate atheists. He made this admission, and that's wow. why we've got to do our job. We've got to do it well. We've got to keep the pressure on. So he was feeling like atheism was, was getting hammered hard by, uh, you know, well, William Lane Craig, yeah. Richard Swinburne, uh, Alvin Plantinga, uh, these men who have done such a great job in the world of, of, of Christian apologetics, philosophy of religion, and arguing against atheism. So I watched that, and then he went to his methodology. And his methodology was this. Overwhelm your debate opponent by the shotgun method. No, um, the sub... Sub, submarine gun. What kind of gun is a sub submachine gun? Submachine oh, okay, gun. Okay. <laughs> submachine gun. Yeah. Uh, you know something that spits bullets out very, very quickly in a very rapid pace. He said, "This is what you have to do." He said, "So," uh, he said, "Have no less than ten arguments, and then shoot those arguments out there in your presentation as fast as you can and as often as you can, and in your rebuttals." Go back and hit those arguments again and again and again, as fast as you can. And basically, you haven't answered this. You haven't answered this. You haven't answered this. You haven't answered this. Um, Now, in in a debate, formal debate like this, you have the statement. um, The question was, does God exist? Mm -hmm. So then the affirmative, yes, God exists, is required to speak first. Uh, The negative gets the second. Mm -hmm. And so in each of these cases, it's always the one who disagrees with the thesis, hmm. who gets to speak last. Right. right. So uh, I got to speak first. He got to speak last. Uh, and, and in some sense, okay, those are the rules of the debate. Right. Often the case is he who speaks last is the one that people remember the most. Right. Right. 
it's why in the NFL you want to be the receiving team mm -hmm. as opposed to the kickoff team mm -hmm. because you want the opportunity to uh, basically go on offense immediately in the second half, but you want to basically be on defense in the first half. You, you want to play it that way because that's a game strategy. Well, the same way in debate. So uh, Eddie set it up to his advantage completely. Right, yeah. So in knowing this, I, I thought, okay, um, I'm not going to be able to adequately answer all of his 10 questions because um, each one of those kinds of issues he's going to raise requires something fairly thorough right uh, laying it out very carefully answering it very carefully so i thought what argument do i think is the uh, most audience friendly and the one that i believe is absolutely and indefeatable hmm. uh, by atheism and i said it's the moral argument for the existence of god right now there were two reasons that was very important one like i said i i, I don't think the argument can be defeated uh, what we want out of morality, you can't get from atheism. And that was the big point of the argument. But secondly, uh, again and again, uh, Eddie in his different presentations would fall back on science, the authority of science, right. and the scientific method. Well, um, the secondary argument that I presented uh, in the debate was uh, if you cannot credential morality as an atheist, mm -hmm. then you have a huge problem with your epistemology. Because what is required in the scientific method for that to be a valid methodological approach to knowing anything about the world, and almost all guys like Eddie, uh, philosophers, non-philosophers, science scientists, so forth, um, miss this necessary truth the scientific method doesn't work mm -hmm. and it can't work unless the scientist is committed to a metaphysical truth and the metaphysical truth is i am morally bound to be absolutely honest as i go from step one to step two from right. step two to step three from step three to step four which means I have to be absolutely honest in my observation of the data. I have to be absolutely honest and committed to honesty and truth in my formulation of that data and mm. providing the hypothesis and testing that hypothesis and reporting that the information concerning that hypothesis to the public. Right. I have to be committed to a standard of moral truth mm -hmm. as well as epistemological truth. Right. As I go through, those are presuppositions which I have rarely seen. Uh, those who defend the scientific method, those who claim that science is the ultimate track to knowledge, ever acknowledge and ever admit. Mm -hmm. The scientific method doesn't work unless there's a moral foundation to it. And think about this will the moral foundation of moral relativism help the scientific method? Hmm. Well, moral relativism doesn't anchor anything right. in anything that's absolute. Uh, will utilitarianism, where the end justifies the means, uh, is that the way you're going to do the scientific method and say, uh, it doesn't matter if we lie during the process as long as the outcome is what we want or the outcome is what we think is beneficial? Mm -hmm. No, the only kind of commitment to truth and honesty that fits the scientific method is one that you'll only find in a robust form of morality, which you can only get from the Christian worldview. Right, definitely.
I, I listened to the debate at least three times now. And um, and one thing I noticed is that um, everything you said right now, the shotgun approach or the, the submachine gun, you said? Submachine gun, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, you know what's funny? The first time I heard about that was it was on YouTube from an atheist speaking about um, uh, Dr. William Lane Craig. Yes. You know, and... And I remember I, I, I read that and and the way how they described it was very like, oh, well, the reason why uh, Craig uh, appears to win all the time is because he says all these arguments and then he goes back and says, oh, well, you have an extra argument. Mm -hmm. and, and really, I, I think I think Dr. Craig is a lot more sophisticated and... and He's an uh, polished debater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he knows how to play the game <laughs> yeah. out there in the public. Exactly, yeah. And and even then, but his arguments alone, even in his videos, I mean, they're solid, you know? Yes. And, uh, I mean, I'm glad you brought up the context of, the, or at least the background of the debate. You know, I, I think it does help. A lot of times, I felt like kind of thought that Eddie was being somewhat disingenuous sometimes. But a lot of times, I just, I just kind of thought to myself, I'm like, doesn't he want to answer those kind of questions? You know, him saying stuff like, "Well, even if I can't answer the the question on morality, it doesn't mean God exists." A lot of times, I just kind of thought maybe he just didn't know how to answer it. I, I remember the debate with Bonson; he had trouble there. Bonson was very, um, you know, he gave him a test of his own medicine. And, and um, one thing he said, which I use for the intro, is uh, just because um, someone has a sharp tongue doesn't mean they have a sharp mind. You know, um, <laughs> yes. and he, he said that about, about, about Tabish. And I'm like, whoa, you know. And so, uh, you know, the, the things like that, I think, uh, and also uh, Douglas Wilson, which I know he's going through a lot of criticism right now for his past theology. One thing he told Christopher Hitchens, uh, he asked him a question, on what standard is God evil? Mm -hmm. And Hitchens was, you know, he thought about it. He's like, oh, that's a good question. And he's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> the question about morality uh, and what you were hitting on, I think, was just was, was foundational and also was solid, you know. But unfortunately, we didn't get the answer there. But one thing I, I do kind of want you to speak on, which I think it was a really good tactic. I, th I thought it was awesome that you did this. You drew a contrast, right? You said the atheists like to bring uh, the problem of evil. Mm -hmm. Well, theists have brought the problem of, of morality. So can you speak a little bit more on on the problem of morality, what's probably the best way to communicate? Is, is there like a syllogism that you go by? Well, um, no, there's no simple syllogism that sort of mirrors the problem of evil. Um, but the problem of morality is of uh, two sorts. Um, well, let's begin by saying, first of all, um, if we're talking about morality, a moral system to be worth anything at all has to solve two conditions. It has to solve moral conflicts because if it can't solve a moral conflict, that is you and I have an issue. Uh, I think you've done evil. You think you've done justice. If the, if a moral system can't address that and bring that to a resolution to show who's right and who's wrong, then it is hardly worth calling it a moral system. Mm -hmm. Secondly, um, that context, you and I, won't work unless morality is something that actually embraces you and I, such that you and I both have to uh, respect it and adhere to it. So the universality, morality mm -hmm. must have universality over all people at all times and all places. And secondly, it must be able to solve moral conflicts. Okay. Now, there are, there are any number of perspectives on morality today that actually fail that again and again. Uh, everything dealing with postmodernism uh, fails both of those. You can't solve any moral conflicts within a postmodern framework of understanding the world. This doesn't work. And of course, 
uh, right from the beginning, postmodernism rejects the meta narrative. It rejects the idea that there's any truth that binds all people together at all times. Mm. Nobody is accountable to any ultimate meta narrative. That's the claim. Mm. Well, the, the logical outcome of that is that you have no morality at all. Yeah. Uh, because whatever gives you the right to create your own morality, I have the same right to create my own morality. And when your morality and my morality come into conflict, uh, for the ivory tower people to say, well, that's where you both need to be tolerant. Then I'm, then each of us can say, oh, but you're asking us both to agree to a meta narrative in which tolerance belongs to this meta narrative that binds everybody in every place, everywhere, that everybody in every place, everywhere ought to be tolerant with one another. But you've already said from the very beginning that there is no such meta narrative. So postmodernism has no ability at all to establish or authenticate uh, any kind of moral system. It can't solve moral conflicts and it can't give you uh, a normativeness that embraces everybody. Um, well, <laughs> that's the problem with postmodernism. What about modernism? What about secularism and its attempts to establish morality? Well, if you read the Humanist Manifesto, it wants to get down to a kind of cultural moral relativism. Hmm. Uh, so that it's only within certain communities. You know, this community of the West, we've agreed that these are our moral rules. But we come into conflict with people of the East or the people of the South or whatever. Well, once again, the problem there is we have invented a morality that we're going to say is going to bind us. But it doesn't enable us to solve our conflicts with our near neighbors who see things differently. Right. Now, the reason why we know this is a real issue is the Germans who were tried in the Nuremberg trials post-World War II. Uh, their ultimate defense was, who are you to say that what we did was evil? <laughs> and they were arguing on the best lines of, of what was beginning to be the, the, the postmodern perspective, uh, but even the secular and modernist project perspective on morality. And that is, um, uh, human beings create morality. We don't have morality given to us from above. The fallback position of the judges at the Nuremberg trials was essentially this. There is a morality that transcends every culture, that transcends your culture and our culture, and it's that morality that you're accountable for. Now, what the Nuremberg judges said was correct, but what the Nuremberg judges said flies in the face of what Nietzsche said before he died. Okay. So at the, begin, at the beginning of the 20th century, it became well known that Nietzsche had said, uh, God is dead, or the gods have died, we've killed him. And so he was saying in his writings, why then do we as Europeans continue to use Judeo-Christian morality when we have already concluded that the foundation of Judeo-Christian morality is gone? And that's the, the, the point right. that Nietzsche was making is that subtract out the God of this moral system, you have no grounding for this moral system. And if you have no grounding for this moral system, then there's no authority. So when Tavish would say, just because I can't answer the question of morality doesn't mean that God exists, the point is, well, 
I'm not interested whether you're smart enough to answer the question of whether morality exists. I'm interested in the fact that the best philosophers who are atheists have admitted that they can't ground ethics and morality in anything other than human decisions to say, this is so. And even Bertrand Russell said, uh, there is no ethical premise unless we choose one. And he says he only knows of of, uh, either you choose it or a government by virtue of power imposes it. Well, that's the problem of Europe in the Second World War. Hitler and the Nazis imposed their form of morality, and the Allied were continuing to cling to, barely, uh, a Judeo-Christian morality. And there's Bertrand Russell, who's hating the war, and he's an anti-war kind of guy, but he's certainly believing that the Nazis and what they did was, was, were deeply evil. There's no grounding for it. So this is the problem of morality. The Christian looks at the way the world is and says, those who do not believe ultimately in the God of Scripture, um, they may choose to have a moral system, but that moral system has no authority because it has no grounding. No one has any obligation to follow it or to obey it. So Okay. I want to ask a question first, and then after the break, can come back okay. and answer. They typically say um, morality itself does not prove God. And I think parts of the debate... He was saying that. He was trying to argue that. Like, So that was part two of part three of our discussion. Hopefully you enjoyed that one. By the time of the release of this episode, it should be Christmas Eve. So I hope you guys have a safe and enjoyable Christmas Eve and Christmas Day with the family. And I look forward to hearing from you guys. Well, until next time, Sola de Gloria.